this podcast from Jubilee Church Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Um, look, I've got to start with an apology this morning. Um, I think it was the exact same thing last year. As some of you know, I'm a teacher, and uh, this being the holidays, uh, I'm riddled with all sorts of illness that I've brought along with the stu- from the students. Please accept my apologies for the sniffs. It's going to sound awful on the recording. It's going to be just like that. I think this mic is going to pick it up absolutely perfectly. Um, look, let's start with prayer. Let's dedicate that offering for one. Um, to devoted and, uh, and the subsequent weeks uh, as we take that up. Lord God, thank you for that offering. Um, thank you, Lord, that um, yeah, you give us everything. It's all yours anyway, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to give that back to you. Um, Lord, pray that this uh, offering will go towards your work, Lord, and do some great things. Um, Lord, we look forward to hearing all the testimony about that. And uh, Oh, Lord God, just I pray that in the next few weeks that more and more people will give in to that um, and we'll have um, plenty to take along with us to devote to the end of the month. Yes, Lord God, help us this morning. Um, there's some tough things to talk about. I pray that you'd um, just prepare our hearts. Um, Lord, that you'd be with me. Um, keep those sniffles to the bare minimum. And Lord God, that um, I would be able to bring your word nice and clearly to everyone, Lord God. Amen. Um, welcome to Summer Psalms, everyone. Um, look, let's, let's open our Bibles first. Um, someone very dear to me suggested that um, a really good place to start would be at the beginning. Um, so if we could turn to Psalm 1, please. It'll be up on the screen, hopefully, but um, maybe not for long. So if you want to keep that open um, as you go, that would be fantastic. That would be really good. I've already got one fan at the back. Am I doing well here? Someone. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Um, So yeah, over these over these next few weeks, um, we're going to be doing Summer Psalms, and we've been given relative um, free reign to, to choose what we want to preach on. Um, and I'm really excited about it. The Psalms are absolutely incredible. Um, you know, the Word of God here, written down for us to read, um, and it contains everything in this book. They're written down as well, though, that we might sing them. We might recite them and live them. And this nudging is getting on my nerves now. Have you spotted any uh, pattern to it, gents? 
It is just my voice. Um, yeah, that we might sing them, live them, recite them, and dwell in them. Verse 2 to 3 calls us to embed the word into our lives. Have a look at it there. Um, we're to soak them up. Now, if you've been around to my house over the last couple of years, I've bored you probably about my tomatoes. I've probably sat you down. I've probably sat you and, and made you watch my wonderful system to water my tomatoes. It's extremely complicated. It would be. Sometimes it fails. Um, sometimes my poor tomatoes don't get quite as much as they need. I should have just used a watering can. But they wither. They don't do very well. As soon as I get that right, though, oh, they, do, they just explode up. The leaves look great. Um, on the life group uh, party last weekend, last weekend, last, last week, um, they were admiring the beautiful vine of tomatoes that was coming down. It was amazing. <laughs> so that's what we want to be like. We want to be fruitful. And the Psalms is going to do that for us as Christians. Many of these Psalms would have been sung as the Jews went up into the um, temple for their, all their festivals. And uh, they would have recited them just like we do um, choruses and hymns. The early church used them in worship too. And for some people, it was the only part of the Bible that they would have actually had. Okay? So they would have had this little tiny book, and that's the only bit they would have had access to. Martin Luther, that German reformer that came along and just said, all this stuff that you're doing as the church is just superfluous. It's all a bit kind of messy around the edges here. We're going to clear up all of this nonsense around worship and around your relationship with God. There was one thing actually that he kept, and that was the Psalms. He insisted that all of the Psalms were used in worship. The Psalms contain everything then. Every doctrine, prophecy, every truth. And an ancient church father said, whatever your need or trouble, from this same book, you can find words to fit so that you can learn the way to remedy your ill. Okay, so you will be able to find something in here that helps you out. So they're great for sure. I mean, how many times have you turned to the Psalms in worship to just figure out how to declare your love for God? How to try and figure out how great God is? It's a great starting point. I understand this. I'm confident in the Psalms and the rest of the Bible to keep me fruitful. But what should we do as Christians about that second part of Psalm 1? It's not very popular at the moment to read verses like that and talk about God's judgment. Let's just read that bit again. Verse 4 to 6. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff, that the wind blows away. There's no substance there. Therefore the wicked will stand in the judgment, nor sin they will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. It's tough, isn't it? I want to touch this morning on some of the other psalms as well that lead on from that. Psalms that don't just talk about God's judgment, but go one step further. And I'm going to be fairly unapologetic about it. It's going to be reasonably hard to hear. But actually, we should learn more about God and the way that we have to relate to him and the way that we can relate to non-believers. Okay? Um, the reason I'm doing this is because I read a great article on it. Okay? 
just coming, coming truthfully to you here. It was really challenging. And when I started reading some of these psalms that he was talking about, uh, it was really challenging to me, so hopefully it will be to you too. Okay? They're called the imprecatory psalms. Okay? Psalms that not only talk about God's judgment, but actually talk about bringing God's judgment on other people. Okay? Let me read some examples to you. I'm going to just quickly go through these. And you will notice the mood in the room will uh, it will decrease. Okay, these are not easy to hear. Just listen to these. Psalm 55, verse 15. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the grave. Psalm 58. O God, break the teeth in their mouths. Gets worse. Psalm 69. Excuse me. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not listed with the righteous. Psalm 109. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Psalm 137. Brace yourselves. How blessed will be the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. I told you. I told you. The mood in here... Has, is palpable. It's, it's gone downhill a little bit. Of course, I've pulled those verses relatively out of their context. Why on earth are these verses in the Psalms, the ones that are always quoted as being the really happy verses of the Bible, the one where we get to talk about praise and worship of God and how wonderful God is, why on earth are these in our Psalms? How on earth do we sing them as Christians? I've just said that, you know, the founding fathers of the church have asked us to sing these. Didn't Jesus himself say, love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us? Jesus modeled it on the cross, didn't he, when he forgave everyone because they didn't know what they were doing. Doesn't Paul command us in Romans 12 to bless our enemies and not to curse? So if we're truly New Testament Christians then, believing that the Bible is the word of God, all of it, how are we going to humbly put these into, a, into action in our lives? Well, I've got some answers for you. Okay? Four answers. They're, they're more like focuses that I want you to try and view these verses through. Okay? Like a, like a lens that you kind of peer through and it clears everything up. Okay? So the first one then. Uh, focus one. Um, spiritual warfare. Listen to this in Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and put on his mighty ar- Sorry, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is perhaps the easiest way to kind of understand these psalms that are in there. We agree with Paul, don't we? That behind all the evil in the world, and I'm not just talking I'm talking about flesh and blood manifestations of evil, the things that make us kind of recoil when we see them on the TV and on the news. Behind that, often, lies the powers of darkness, spiritual forces and Satan himself. When we consider, this is from John, John 10, the 
evil spiritual power that's in this world seeking to steal, kill, and destroy everything that is good and right and holy, we can cry out with the psalmist, with those psalms that I read, that he would end it. That God would end it quickly. The implications of the psalms, those ones that I read, are directed to those spiritual powers. Spiritual powers that can enslave us with addictions or even tease us with unbelief. Depression, poverty, injustice, willfully, willfully put on the poor of the world by, by regimes. These enemies are the tangible outworking of Satan himself. It is right for us to pray for the demise of these. And I want to ask you, when was the last time you prayed about those things with such vigor as is found in those verses in Psalms? When was the last time you saw those things on the TV and used language as strongly as those in the Psalms? The Psalmists did it. They were under a lot of pressure. The Jews in Babylon, for example. Focus number two, vengeance transferred. Listen to this. This is from Paul in Romans 12. He's quoting Deuteronomy. Do not take refuge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him some, something to drink. In doing this, you heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Uh, we've all been created in God's image. We're hard, hardwired for justice, aren't we? Now, Rupert will know exactly what I'm talking about here at school. The kids, the students, have this inbuilt, huge desire that justice should be done. Massive. One of the worst things you can do as a teacher is see this thing that is done wrong and to give out that punishment. And then that lad who's, uh, how can I put it, a bit more challenging does the same thing and you don't dish out the same punishment. This child over here will be in absolute uproar. And we all have that built into us. I read a little story about a guy called Oase Dar. He was a shopkeeper. And he got sent to prison for something quite unusual. What he did was he caught a boy stealing grapes in his corner shop. And he decided that he wouldn't involve the police, that he'd just take this child, take him back to his parents, and just announce, he's been stealing from me. Um, so he kept him, he's been stealing from me. What are you going to do about it? Well, what the parents did about it was they phoned the police. And uh, poor Mr. Dar was arrested at 4 a.m., he was put in a cell, fingerprinted, and had his DNA sample taken for wrongful imprisonment. When I was reading that story, that's the same reaction as you, probably. That's not quite right. And on my word, the comments on the internet, the way they flowed through, okay? We've all got this built in, haven't we? Okay? This hardwired for justice idea. Um, we've got that inner sense of right from wrong. For righteousness to be held up, vindicated, and for evil to be punished. Thankfully, God has provided loads of systems around us, hasn't he? We've got the police, we've got 
um, the courts. Um, and more often or not, that works just fine. Sometimes, though, when we see things that go unpunished, it's really easy for us to think, I need to take, I need to take action. For some people, they might take the law into their own hands, striking back. But our desire for vengeance and vindication, listen, it's got to be transferred to God. Okay? We have to pass that on to God. God alone can dispense justice. He's the only one righteous enough to do that. When the psalmist calls down these curses, and oh my word, they made you feel very uncomfortable in your seat, what he is doing there is he is passing on that need. Now, that image there, I put in at the last minute, I had a really nice image of a voodoo doll. But I thought, I'd better not put that up. It doesn't quite fit, okay? I can't put that up in church. But it's that idea of, this person has done me wrong, I'm going to take vengeance on them, is the exact same thing that the psalmist is saying, no, I'm not doing that, I'm passing it on to God. When someone has experienced unspeakable horror, there has to be this channel. If that isn't there, we just kind of, we can reciprocate and the evil just kind of carries on. But we have this channel, and listen, you can pray to God like this. All your rawness, all your uncensored, unrestrained anger at someone or something can be released to God and it can be left there. He's the one who suffered more than any of us, Christ. And he's the only one just enough to bring proper vindication. These psalms, the ones that I read out to you, they were prayers. They were not the acts themselves. By not taking this action, anger can be transferred then into God's hands who has promised to bring about his holy judgment. It's sometimes through this dark channel of expression that, you know, when we transfer it, that we can come out of it into the light of forgiveness, holiness, and find the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in the newness of life. Okay? Excuse me. Focus three, the curse absorbed. This is where it gets really, really exciting. When you think about the cross there, just how much sin do you think Jesus took on? Just how much? Listen to this, Galatians 3. Um, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written... Christ is ev- cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Just as that second focus allows us to transfer all of our anger and our need for judgment into the Lord's hands, it should remind us of the terrifying reality that all those curses which belong on the wicked are transferred onto Christ. Those dark, dark psalms where the psalmist is calling on judgment to be heaped on his enemies should catch us off guard. 
So much so that we, we can't really fathom just how much sin and horribleness would have been put on Christ on the cross. God hears every curse that we voice. Christ accepts every cry for vengeance that we sob. He holds every wrong in his cup, and then Christ absorbs it on the cross. All the punishment that we deserve, all the punishment that the wicked deserve, falls on Christ. All the curses which the fall brought into this world come on Christ. Every imprecation, every one of those psalms that is directed at an enemy, whether spiritual forces or physical agents, is carried by Christ. When we transfer our anger and our vengeance into God's hands, Christ takes it upon himself all the wrath that we deserve. He becomes the curse. He carries our sorrows. He suffers on our behalf. He absorbs the weight of all of that wickedness. It's all absorbed, but extinguished as well. As he cries, it is finished. When we voice these psalms, the ones that are read to you, when we think about the judgment there, we see more vividly the depth of love of Christ who became a curse for us. So we should use these psalms, keep them as part of our worship, keep them as part of our dedications. Focus four then, the end game. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Revelation 11. Though Christ has taken the curse for... Sorry, through Christ... Let me start again. Silly nose. Though Christ has taken all those curses for us. We're vindicated. We're, in his sight, we are forgiven. Well, I hope you are, sat there. The judgment of God will still come on those who do not take refuge in him by trusting in him. That's what Psalm 1 is talking about. Let me read it again. Not so the wicked, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. They will not stand in the judgment and they won't stand with the assembly of the righteous. Many of the implications in the Psalms carry an element of finality about them. Remember, so there's lots of death, lots of being buried alive, lots of children being hurt. It's final, it's permanent, it's done. They're bold images, aren't they, of total and permanent destruction. Okay, the curses seem really frightening. Unless we remember that our greatest hope lies in God setting all things right in his new creation. The ultimate goal towards which all creation is heading is the joyous rule and reign of God. Where evil's banished forever. Verse 5 again in Psalm 1 alludes to this. There's going to be like a double punishment, isn't there? Not only will people not be able to stand against the judgment but they're going to be separated from the righteous. 
the judgment of God upon the forces of wickedness for us is not something to be feared. It's our greatest hope and it should be our comfort. The judgment of God comes against the wicked in a way which God demonstrates his love and mercy for the world. Strange, isn't it? For example, in Psalm 137, you know that one that was the worst, the one that I left till the end, the one where it says, blessed are the people who take those infants and dash them against the rocks. If I give you the context behind that, you'll see how how it really shows love and mercy for the world. The Israelites were in captivity with the Babylonians, weren't they? And the way that God finished that, finished that, the Babylonians, was that their children were wiped out. They were destroyed. It destroyed Babylon's ability to regenerate, to carry on doing all that evil. It's a picture then of just the destruction of evil in the world with the new creation. So God has promised that there will be a time when sin and wickedness will be ended forever, never to rise again. This is in Revelation 18 and 19. Fallen. Fallen is Babylon the Great. With great violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. For the Lord Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. This is the great hope for Christians then. Someday there will be a final end to all evil. It will never rear its head again. Someday there will be a final end to all suffering. We will live in a new creation. No tears, no sorrow, no pain, no death. But this can only come about if the Lord puts an end to the wickedness for all. The victory that was secured on the cross, but won't come to proper fruition until that judgment. The imprecations which cry out for this final destruction, for this definitive end to evil, are pointers to that great hope. Every time we see one of these psalms crop up, it should point us to the end. They should fill us with a longing for that day. And with great hope that, it, that the victory is just secure. Okay? You should feel really secure in that. God loves everyone. But he's also right, just and righteous. Who's heard of this? God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. Have you heard of that saying? I watched a little talk by R.C. Sproul. He sat there and he didn't laugh, but he, he realized the folly of that, that, that actually the sin doesn't end up getting sent to hell. God loves the sinner but hates the sin, but the sin doesn't get sent to hell. Jesus calls us into a relationship with him. It's there. He's achieved the victory. All we have to do is trust in him 
and we will be among the righteous on that judgment day. What I want to ask you this morning is, will you be there? Will you be there with me? Will you be there with the rest of us? Are you depending on Jesus for your salvation? Are you depending on him that, you know, when you, when you pray about these, these psalms, these imprecations, that, that actually you're secure in it. And you are encouraged about the judgment that sin and darkness and evil will always be, on that day, crushed and never come again. Four things then, ways that we can understand more about God and more about our lives living with him. Ways that we view, can view these implications in the Psalms, these really challenging ones. Let me just recap. Excuse me again. Number one, pray for an end to evil in this world and the devil's schemes. Use the imprecations to do that. The psalmist was under massive pressure, often being chased, his life in danger. Pray for an end to evil in this world. Number two, transfer your need for vengeance. If you are feeling that you have been not just hard done by, but injustice in your life or in others, take it to the cross. Give it to God. He's the only one just enough to do that. Number three, as we read these psalms, and I don't know if any of the guys in the next few weeks might even have one of these psalms dotted around their verses. When we see them, we should have a new understanding of the amount of sin that Jesus carried on the cross. We can't comprehend it, but what I can do is I can stand here and go, wow. That's incredible. That he would love us enough to do that. Number four, whenever you see these verses in the Psalms, focus on the day of judgment, the hope that we have, and maybe even the fear. I think most of us sat in this room will have massive amounts of hope of that judgment day when everything comes together when our relationships with Jesus are vindicated and we can stand there and God will say, welcome in, son, daughter. There may be someone here that actually feels insecure in that. Maybe even has a bit of fear. I beg you today, don't leave. Don't go down those stairs today until you've spoken to someone about it. Talk to someone in here with a lanyard on. Talk to me. Talk to Rupert, Izzy. Talk to us about our relationship with Christ and how actually we're confident about that and we're not as scared about that day of judgment. These implications in the Psalms, these verses that call down judgment on other people, just have a much bigger picture behind them. So don't leave them out. Have them in your prayer life. When you read through Psalms, don't skip them. Remember those four things. Thanks for listening to this
Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.